This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. The Talksport Fan Network is proudly supported by Muck Delivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery, just like Leicester City this season. So the only thing left to say is, you win. Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants 18+. plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. You are watching and listening to Chris and Lester to Live Die TV on YouTube and your favourite podcasts. Hi everybody, Jerry Taggart here. Now be sure to watch Chris and Lester Till I Die TV by subscribing on YouTube and following them on social media for all the latest Leicester City news and information. Come on you foxes! You're watching Lester Till I Die TV. Watch us on YouTube. Listen on your favourite podcast platform. Or ask your smart speaker to play the podcast Lester Till I Die. Subscribe, like, follow and join in now. Right, Chris. Oh, right there. Oh, right at the back. It's been ages Ages as I've seen you. It's been about 45 minutes. I hope you are all well. Thanks for coming back and joining us again. Um, this is the sloppy second show, as I like to call it. I don't don't tell Julian. Shh. I don't think you heard that. Don't think you heard that. Um, welcome along. It's Lester Till I Die. And we are Tuesday at nine o'clock, which can only mean one thing. It's the X on the Pitch show. And where can you watch and find us and listen to us later? Funny you should ask that. Watch us on YouTube. Listen on your favourite podcast platform. Or ask your smart speaker to play the podcast Lester Till I Die. Subscribe, like, follow and join in now. 
Spurs may have got the new manager. We're going to stick with the old guard. And why not? It's the Women's Weekly Top Topic Top Top Totty Centre's Red Special. <laughs> it's, it's Julian. Good evening, sir. Good evening, Chris. How are you? I'm all right. I'm winning out of women's magazines, though. <laughs> <laughs> I'll send you some over next week. <laughs> yeah. What sort? <laughs> That's the question. <laughs> um, yeah. First of all, we've got to touch on it, haven't we? Uh, Conte to Spurs. We were just mentioning it before we, we started, but uh, just, to, just to bring it up. A surprise when he said no before and he said yes now. Yeah, and what what I read in this sort of press was that uh, he felt too emotional when they first approached him because it was too close to him leaving Milan, and I don't quite get that. But then I wonder if in that period that no one else has approached him, that uh, it seems far far more attractive uh, the second time round. I mean, you know, you you can't deny that he did well, um, you know, at, at Chelsea, but uh, it'd be, it's a very very interesting. Um, Appointment, I think you know the team isn't quite performing as it has done for quite a few years since Potocino left. Uh, yeah. Although it has done in fits and starts, but really need to get something sort of solid. But you know, you just cannot deny this guy's enthusiasm and the way he goes about his job. And do you know what? I think it's probably exactly what Tottenham needs. So while he wouldn't be my favourite choice for every club, including ours, I think probably perfect fit for the Spurs. It's probably the best managers or managerial decision they've made in a long time. I mean, you know, the success that Poch brought to, to well, you know, he, the, the limited success, so we say, that he brought to, to Spurs. But he was a developing manager. Conte's been there, seen it, got the T-shirt. And it'd be interesting to see how his relationship with Daniel Levy uh, expands as they, they, they work together. Well, I, th- I think that's interesting for any manager who, who, who joins mm. Tottenham. But I think with Tottenham, yeah, Pochettino was great. And he just had that final season where there were all the expectations, the development had been there, the improvement year after year, and it didn't quite work out. But I also think about Ferguson when he had that season when he said he was going to retire. Mm. And then, you know, it was a disastrous season. He didn't want to retire and he came back stronger. And I wonder if Pochettino had done that. And I'm not so sure, but they did go back in for him. So, Maybe that says a lot about the relationship there. But, you know, Conte's just got that, you know, enthusiasm, that 100% that he's going to ring the best out of every single player in that squad. Uh, And I think it'd be particularly interesting to see, you know, what he does and how Harry Kane responds to that. And I I think, to be fair, Harry Kane will be happy with that appointment. I think, and no no disrespect to Nuno, but I don't think he saw him as taking the club to the next step in which he why mm. mate he wanted to leave to go to man city so there's all sorts of conundrums that we can think about but it, it for me i think it's a good appointment and it's going to be uh, really interesting now to see you know how the next few weeks unfold we were going to actually come on to, to managers afterwards but we might as well sort of start with the, with the, yeah. the manager question uh, and that is yes men managers um for want of a better phrase and um Got here. This was in this was in the Daily Mail um, a while ago, and it was written by Martin Samuel, who, in fairness, is, is you know is is a good, well respected um, uh, manager, uh, manager writer. Sorry, and he said, you know, oddly, Manchester United seems scared to appoint a manager in the Sir Alex Ferguson mould. Conte would demand the control that Solskjaer does not have, 
but he should get it. So I've asked the question there, sort of, are managers just glorified yes men answering to the director of the football on behalf of the owners who are too scared, and the owners are too scared to appoint a manager with a voice? Um, I just think that the position of a manager, it, it was a strong one a long time ago. It still is at yeah. some clubs. And, and the manager in the old days, he, he had the say over everything. He, you know, he probably dictated the wages, you know, the length of contracts. He, he would have discussed contracts. You know, I discussed my contract with Martin O'Neill, just me and him face yeah. to face. Um, you know, that's how it was done in those days. And then I think I think we've taken a bit of a blueprint from Europe, and I'm, I'm not sure it's the right one, where they've been head coaches and then... You know, I feel now that for English managers who go to a club and then, you know, they're, they're labelled as head coaches, they probably feel a bit disappointed because they've always been, you know, managers, you know, in, in every step, that a uh, shape that they've coached in this country. So it is a bit of a, a mixture of sort of cultures there. And and I'm not sure what, what the best thing is. I mean, I, I, I do think these days there's so much money involved in the game that we talk about every week that it probably is left better to... Um, you know, the, the, the different people in the club to deal with. But on the other hand, as a manager, you want to know, you know, what, what the talks are about. Do you think that player's worth that? There's no person in the club got a better idea of what the player should be paid than the manager. You know, and does yeah. he get X amount extra than what you think he's worth? And all of a sudden, you know, that, that can sour relationship. Or do you think someone should get paid, um, you know, a, a little bit more than than what the actual people at the club are giving them. So I, yeah. I think it should actually be a collective and it's not at the moment. Um, yeah. And, you know, I think you're right with it. You know, with the Fer Ferguson was the boss um, yeah. and he probably had a big say over everything yeah. that happened at the club. And then, you know, does that diminish the sort of power of a manager who's deemed a head coach who just says... Uh, I mean, to you, run, the, run the, you know, coach the football yeah. team, but not have any other say. I think it just takes away some responsibility. I think um, I'm just had a thought then. Please, please, we shouldn't break down today. By the way, in the middle of the show, so fingers <laughs> crossed that it won't won't happen again. Um, but if you do, if you are any ladies out there that just do like looking at, at Julian, there is a, a a section of that show where uh, you, you you can enjoy it. Terry, no, good evening. If you, dis you if you disappear again, Chris, I'll just answer Terry's question that he's put up there. <laughs> yes, please do, please do. <laughs> and going to say hello to Ankit, who's a Chelsea fan or Mighty Blues FC channel. Check that out. Good evening, Ankit. Um, yeah, Ankit. I mean, I'm, I'm, I suppose in this country we, we are kind of different because if you look at managers down the lower leagues, you've got um, you know the the, the 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 manager has to basically do everything almost down to sort of you know cleaning the boots if you like you know and yeah. and you maybe don't get that uh, abroad but you know for a manager the book stops with you you're the one that's going to lose your job. Although, you know, let's face it, you get a nice big, you know, Nuno's £5 million better off than he was. Um, but you, well, if you've not got those powers to make those decisions, and this is what makes me wonder with Conte, because he isn't going to be a yes man, where Nuno possibly was. And, and you know, uh, Martin Samuel there was sort of alluding to the fact that probably Ollie is at Manchester. Yeah, I mean, you know, when when and we're all looking at it all, we always look at it from the outside, and we don't really know what's happening indoors. But you know, Oli yeah. doesn't seem to command uh, that presence. Hi, Miss Molina. Um, he doesn't seem to command the presence. I said about it on the pitch last week against 
Liverpool, you know, he doesn't look like a, a guy who's in charge of a football team. Conte does. And I think Daniel Levy will know exactly what he's taken on and and probably may have to adjust the, the way he involves himself with managers, knowing that what he's done in the last few years hasn't quite worked for the club. It does need to work for the club. They've, they've produced this fantastic stadium. On the back of that, they've not really done anything on the pitch. So everything's been great yeah. off the pitch, nothing on the pitch. And I think at some point he must think, you know, I'm going to have to put myself out there and, and work, you know, and, and adjust the way I work with people and allow a bit more of someone like Conte coming in, who, like you've said, I mean, he's no shrinking violet. You know, he's yeah. going to want a big say in everything. Uh, and he's a very passionate man. He's very emotive. His heart's on his sleeve and he's going to say what he, you, what he thinks. And it'd be interesting to see how it, how it unfolds. But there's no doubting that, he, you know, he probably can bring success to the club. And it's going to be another interesting uh, you know, in attribute to the Premier League as it stands now, whereas Spurs are struggling a bit at the moment, and you'd think there's going to be a bit of bounce back from from this guy coming in. And do you think, you know, looking at Man United, um, and this is what say Martin Samuel was alluding to more than anything, was that they've not got rid of Oli because they, you know they they won't take somebody on who will turn around and say to them. You know, it's not the American way of doing things, is it? You know, it's like, you know, the American owners of, of sports clubs literally are, are so hands-on. Hands yeah, I think the problem, you know, I mean, Oli, they went and won uh, at Spurs at the weekend, which is always a stay of execution. There's not many clubs sack a manager on the on the back of a, of a good win against, you know, a supposedly stronger team. If they'd have got mm. beat, this would have been a really interesting week in Manchester for me. And then it's the other side of it is, you know, who do they appoint, you know, at the moment? Yeah. And I think they, they must be lining candidates up because, you know, I don't think Ollie's the man, but um, who's that going to be right now? Who's available? Um, who's fits the profile? Um, and, you know, like you say, who who's going to fit into what exactly what they want and who they can work with? And that that's, you know, always a big part of the equation. I mean, we've heard in the past that sort of managers have had players thrust upon them. Uh, you know, there's always rumours about Chelsea and Shevchenko was a Abramovich signing rather than a, whoever was Chelsea manager at the time, and it could have been anything. Anki, who's a Chelsea fan, will probably come in and, uh, and say it. But, you know, I can say I can't imagine having a job where I don't have control over my own destiny. No, and, that, and that's precisely it. And it, you know, I mean, I was—I've always been a fan of Shevchenko, and but he came in, and <clears throat> there was always those rumours at the time, and immediately that sort of uh, soils the relationship between the chairman and the manager. I have to mm. play them. I might not want to play. Me might not fit into the way that I want to play, uh, and and that relation dies a death. And if the results are bad on the pitch, you know, the chairman's going to say to you, "Well, you're not playing him in the right way," and he's going to say, "Well, I don't really want to play him." And it just, it, you know, it, it's a—it <clears throat> becomes a. a well, not a team. You need everybody pushing in the right direction. Um, mm. We talked about it off air previously with, you know, um, these, uh, you know, the people who come and director of football who are supposed to come and help the manager. Do they always help the manager? You know, the chairman, the manager and any coaching staff and any director of football, they've all got to be on the same page. And they've actually also got to get on personally because any, you know, fra you know um, breaks in that relationship, uh, are just going to lead to wider, wider cracks and it's all going to break down eventually, whether it's the manager or whoever else. And I just think mm. they don't really think about that enough, you know, these yeah. days. And, you know, it is about those relationships and everyone pushing in the same direction. 
I mean, with it, a lot of the comments in, 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 in the chat are that it's going to be a very volatile relationship at Spurs and they don't know how it's going to work. But maybe that's what, you know, for, for these clubs to be successful, you know, if you want a successful manager, he's going to come in and he's going to say, get out of my room, let me get on with it, you know, and give me the money to... I mean, he must have agreed some sort of, you know deal because i think this is one of those positions where the manager is bigger than the club you know i think i think i think conte and i read this somewhere today conte has done spurs a favor by taking the job more than spurs doing conte a favor by offering it to him i think with you know where conte is right now you know obviously won the league with milan he's done it with chelsea um, he's of good pedigree, as we'd say, of a manager, you know, coming into this league. And Spurs, you know, what were their options really, genuinely? You know, they've, mm. they've talked about Fonseca. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I personally would love to see, uh, and I'd like to see Newcastle take Eddie Howe. Um, but yeah. there's, there's, there weren't that many names banded about or available uh, right at this moment in time. And I think he would have he would have really had the bargaining chip of saying to them, well, you know, we can sit down and talk, but come January, I want to sign him, him and him as an yeah. absolute minimum. I'll offload him and him and him, and this is how we'll do it. And I'm sure he will put a big shopping list down. And that will have been part of the agreement that they back him in the transfer market because yeah. it's a great squad at the Tottenham at the moment, but it, it, it's certainly not the best squad in the league. And he will have identified straight away. I mean, what I'm sure he's been watching them all season, uh, as all managers do, got all the lowdown on them. And he will see some areas where he thinks, I want to improve on that and I need to bring mm -hmm. someone to it. And he will have players that he knows that will want to come. And, and it's just a natural thing for a manager to bring in some of his own you know, players that he, he's managed before. Uh, and that would have definitely been part of the discussions before he became manager. There's um we were talking about it's like Newcastle there that they're gonna have um they're after Villarreal, you know, Unai mm. Emery, who mm. didn't do so well in the Premier League and managers because they're and this is the thing with Conte, you know, is that I'm surprised Newcastle didn't go for him to be honest with you, because he's a proven you know winner mm. in, in in the Premier League where Emery didn't quite manage it with Arsenal. But you know, he's he's Winning everything at Villarreal, you know, it's going to be. But money is a good, a a, 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 bit, a, a draw, isn't it? You know, when you're looking yeah, at it. I think with Emery, I mean, like it's a no-brainer to come to Newcastle because you know he's literally going to have a blank checkbook. They've got a lot of money to spend. But mm. it's the same with all these managers. We're, we're seeing about now Conte about what he's done in Europe, and he's he's a great manager. He's also been sacked in England. You know, Emery's been sacked yeah. in England, and yet we're still clamouring for him. And this is the thing I know a lot of people talk about the merry-go-round and when you know when does it uh, ever stop? And this is where I would really like to see the younger uh, managers. But the, the problem is, and I say this every week, it's it's a lot about money and it's about success, and they want instant success. Who can bring them instant success? Would Frank Lampard do it? I don't know. Probably yeah. not. Would Steven Gerrard do it? I think Steven Gerrard is doing a fantastic job at Rangers. He's sort of out of the way, unassuming, just getting on with it. We rarely hear about him because he's in Scotland, but yeah. looks to be doing a great job. And, you know, someone like that, but is, is he big enough for the job? But are these guys good enough for the job as well? You know, that's the question we've got to ask. But as outsiders, we look in and go, oh, yeah, Conte. Oh, yeah, Emery, because they've done this, this and this. 
but we've got these up and coming guys. And again, I mentioned Eddie Howe, who's did a mm. fantastic job at Burnley, at Bournemouth, sorry, in every yeah. league in the country on a limited budget. It'd be very interesting to see what he could do if he went to a club and and had the money to spend and the players to bring in that he wants to bring in to play the style that he wants to play. But it's not going to happen now. Uh, and it'll be interesting how it unfolds. But yeah, it looks like Emery for Newcastle. And again, another massive character you know, on the touchlines, a, a big, big club. And, and again, it just makes the Premier League more and more exciting. And and he's got something to, to prove as well. I, I think with Eddie Howe, because of course I, li- I say I live down in Bournemouth, as you know, and when I came down here, there were minus 17 points in the fourth tier. And, you know, Eddie Howe's took them all the way through. I've got the utmost respect for him, but he does like the South Coast, which is why he didn't last <laughs> long at Burnley. No, all his family are down here and what have you. So, you know, yeah. that's the thing that, you know, but then, like you say, you know, you, you're playing for the richest club in the, or managing the richest club in the world. Um, but again, you know, if, as a manager going in, and I do think these days that when you accept the job as a manager, it, you don't, I don't think these days you necessarily look at, well, you know, where are they in the league? You know, what have I got to, because if you are a failure at the club and they sack you, you still walk off with, you know, a couple of million pounds in your back pocket. Mm. Yeah, and, and and you know, I've said it previous, you know, early, about five minutes ago, and I've said it on every show, you know, the money really just, you know, gets in the way of everything because you're, you're absolutely right. You know, mm-hmm. Nuno's gone off with a, a really fat wallet in his back pocket after mm-hmm. so many hundred days in the job. And, you know, and, and, and it's just that easy these days. There's so much money that they can hire someone, fire them, pay them out, hire someone else, mm-hmm. pay them out. You know, it's just... It, it, it is a bit ridiculous, but that is, you know, what we have generated with the Premier League and, you know, that's the culture of it and it won't change. And I probably think it's getting, whether worse is the right word, but I think it is in the fact for the managers, in fact, that the, the trigger's pulled a lot earlier than it would have been, you know, previously. And yes. now it's just a case of a couple of bad results. Fans aren't happy. Right, Bosh, he's gone. Doesn't matter that we have to pay him out X amount of million because we've got the money. We'll just go and get someone else. And is that is the right it? person? And then there's the churn of managers. And we were looking at Watford. I mean, what yes. a ridiculous churn of managers there is there. But they can obviously afford to do it. And is it the right thing? I don't think it is. And you, you like to see clubs keep faith in managers. And hopefully they can turn it around. But, you know, they just want that instant success. And, and that's the big issue. And I think, you know, it's the same with players as well. You know, when you've got clubs, say, like Leicester, and I know these clubs, in fairness, are starting to develop their own, uh, you know, the, the, the academies and what have you. And I know that's something that the Newcastle owners are looking at. But, you know, you've got a club like Leicester where we take a chance on a £29 million Wesley Fofana. Nobody else would necessarily take the chance on him. A couple of seasons in the Premier League, and suddenly everybody wants him. Well, it's not even been that, <laughs> and, and we get him for eighty million. I mean, the, you know, these clubs—if they were businesses, they'd, they'd be out of business. You know, there'd be one going out of business every week. And that's what it's like. It's like they don't feel like they need to do the homework. They'll just buy the finished products. Whereas at Leicester, yeah. we're sort of buying something that we can see as a project. We can see the potential in them. We've obviously done mm-hmm. our homework, and we, we bring them in and bring them through. And you know, like I say, with Fafana, it came through a lot quicker. Just due to circumstances, but, yeah. you know, performed admirably and being, if he's fit, he'd be in the first team every week, week in, week out, because yeah. he's been that good. But then all of a sudden, you know, we, we're looking at people bidding him from like they did Maguire. And, and listen, every you know, as much as we don't want to, every every player has got a price. Yes. You know, if someone comes in for Farner, 
70 plus million. I think mm. I think you're going to take it. And but definitely, the good thing definitely. about us at Leicester in the homework that we do is we go and pick someone else up, uh, you know, 15 yes. to 30 million, and, and we bring someone else yes. in who, who's just as good. And one day, hopefully, we're at that point where you know I think we'll be paying a bit more wages and we'd be a lot bigger club, and maybe in five years' time, and we won't be selling these players, and these players will be wanting to actually come to us. But right now we're in always, that we're in between that space. We are, but I think there's always clubs, and, and I, I get told, you know, accused a lot that oh, Leicester City, they're a selling club, you know. And well, like you said, if the price is right, you know, Man United has sold Ronaldo because mm-hmm. a bigger club in Real Madrid <laughs> came in for them, and we don't, you know, we're not a selling, you know, a selling club is a club that has to sell to survive, and we used to be like that. Um, now, you know, we, we used to have to sell a player every season for a good amount to, to keep going. Where now, yes, we will sell, but only if the price is right. A couple of points here that, that Scott's made. Uh, put managers and league positions aside. What player would want to go to Spurs when they can get more money at Newcastle? And we touched on this the other week, didn't we? That Newcastle would have to offer more money because... Mm. No disrespect to Newcastle, it's a lovely city, but it's not London, you know. And uh, but I think the owners, I, they do seem to have sensible owners, and I don't think they're just going to go out first season and spend, spend, spend just for the sake of it. No, and I, but I, do you know what? I look at the league table now, and really daft as it seems, I think they need to act really, really quickly because I think the six points, you know, off, you know, away from yeah. safety. And we all know what this league's like. You can go on a bad run and you could bring a new manager. And I think they need someone in quickly. And I think they need someone to sort of galvanise the team now and get a few results. And then in, in January, I think they really need to go and get some players in because there is a danger now that they can get into a position where, and we've seen it before, we're too good to go down. And all of a sudden, you go down. And, it, it, yeah. you know, it's, it's, a, it's that thing of the pressure of having to win games to get out of a bad position and then you lose and the pressure just mounts and mounts and mounts. Um so I do think they're in a a bit of a tricky situation at the moment and I do think they really need to to act quickly and, and hopefully they do because it's a fantastic club and it should be in the Premier League but you know there's a bit of a worry about them at the moment. Six points off safety already, you know that's a that's a big amount when you're down there, and you know you're going to bring these players in. They've got to settle in and they've got to assimilate with the colleagues and what have you. It is going to be, you know, a, a tough task. Scott says there, um, and good evening, Scott. I, I didn't evening, say that Scott. earlier. How the devil are you? Um, Newcastle knew the likes of Graham Potter, Eddie Howe, or even a Nigel Pearson. I don't think I think Newcastle want a name. Mm. Absolutely, I, I do. Think, yes, yes. I, I agree with you 100%, Chris. And I, and I, you know, I agree with Scott's choices there. Uh, you know, Nigel Pearson's been fantastic when he's, you know, he's given the right opportunity. Eddie Howe, I still think he's grown into be a fantastic manager. The last interview I saw of him, he said he was going to take a few years out and, and really get yes. his head down and, you know, go over everything that he'd done and, and learn a bit more about it and come back refreshed. And, you know, and I think what a, what a great manager he's going to yes. be someday. And, uh, you know, where he's going to finish, you know, we don't know. But you're absolutely right. They will want what we would, you know, our name. Um, yes. It won't be a Gerard. It won't be a Lampard. It won't be a Pearson. Uh, it looks like it's going to be Emery anyway. But it, it, if it wasn't him, it would be some big European name. And 
probably would get away with it and scrape through and and stay up and, and then the real sort of fun begins but they really need to do something quickly to get out of the position that they're in at the moment yeah whoops sorry i pressed the wrong button there um move, move, moving on now and just before we move on we'll talk about uh uh, closer to home and Leicester City. Uh, I'm just going to play this and explain because this all links in very nicely with what we're going to talk about. Every Tuesday, as you will or will not know, depending who's watching, we, you have a talking point, a Tuesday talking point. And there's one fan does it for every club. I do the Leicester City one. It's on the BBC uh, Leicester City homepage. So go and check it out. And I, I've as I, I've done it every, every Tuesday, and today happens to be Tuesday. So and I'm just going to tell you what a, a brief, a brief, I can keep it brief, rundown of, of what I said. Um, let me just bring it up here. The title was When Will We Keep a Clean Sheet? Um, and that, that is a, such a big question at the moment. I mean, you know, here we go. Um, we've played 15. We've kept two clean sheets. And no disrespect to them, one of those was against Millwall. Uh, who you know, not not Premier League club, the, eighty-one days ago, which was the first game of the season, which was twenty-two percent of the year. We're just coming up to a quarter of the year that we haven't kept kept a clean sheet for. And if Wolves had kept, had the shooting boots on that day, we wouldn't have kept a clean sheet. Then I'd put a pizza there, which of course we all know Claudio Ranieri went out and bought a pizza. But I think. Brendan's going to have to go out and buy them a three-course meal. It's <laughs> right. As a defender, what's going wrong? It's a, it's a difficult one. And, you know, for me, success is built on clean sheets. You know, we don't want to be boring. We don't want to sit back and park the bus. But you, you've got to be solid and, we, you know, and, and competitive in that part of the pitch. And at the moment, you know, looking at, at the weekend's game, you know, it was, a, it was a bit too easy the way that the goals came about. Um, I think there's been an unsettled defence. I think, we, you know, as we've spoke about a few times, the shape, has that been right? We've gone to the back three that we were all talking about that worked so well last season and seems to have worked. Uh, and then we've looked at, you know, for me, Sayunchu doesn't look the player he was last year. And that's purely got to be mental because physically... You know, there's no, there's no change about him. Vestergaard's come in. Very difficult sometimes to do that. Um, and he's had some, he's had some, you know, dodgy moments that won't help him. And then in the team that there was so much expectation on to do well and then to, to not be doing well and the results not coming, that, you know, the, the, that feeds around everybody's confidence. And then also you've got the Johnny Evans saga that, you know, is he fit? Is he not going to be fit? And that I think that's really, really... Uh, affected, you know, the team as a whole, and we do. You do have to look at. I mean, the, we, we defend as a team, but you do have to look at that for me this season because I think, like I say, Vestergaard and Sonchu, not the players that we know they can be, and I'm sure they will be. Uh, and Evans, who's been a rock and, and organises that, which is why I talked about, you know, a few weeks ago about should we have brought in Cahill, which I would have think, you know, I wouldn't have wanted him to play with Evans, but. As Evans is not fit, I think it would have been perfect one to drop in there and, and help the guys out 
Um, and, and I feel that's a lot to do with, you know, the lack of clean sheets. And, I mean, a lot of people have said, oh, well, we've got, we haven't got Fafana and we haven't got JJ. And once they're back, you know, it'll all be amazingly good and we'll, you know, clean sheets every game. You know, I mean, Fafana, it's going to be January, they say, unless, you know, I know, I know he's, you know, JJ's back on the on the training ground. But, you know, even once they're back in the team, we know with um, with Brendan, he doesn't play, give you 90 minutes, he eases you back in. And when you mm. see what happened with Maguire the, you know, against us, that, that's probably the, the better decision. But mm. by that, so we know, we were probably looking at February before both of those are back fully fit and up and running and playing 90 minutes every week. By then, we could be out of the title race, we'll be out of Europe, out the two cups. Your season's over. But last season... And you know, we, we, everybody had you know it was it was bad last season because of the short you know off season because of the, um, the 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 COVID and what have you. But we had a worse injuries to our back four than we have now, and yet we weren't doing this badly. No, but I think you know you go back to that, and while we had the injury problems, you know, Fafana was fit, Sunchu was in good form, and, and you know that it's a massive difference that mm. for those two players that I've just mentioned, one's now missing, and one's I don't think in great form. You know, even the the recent games, the game against Man U, I, th- I still thought while we won the game, we conceded two, and I thought Sunchu for one of the goals just didn't really get tight enough. He didn't really look like he's on his game, and it it's difficult for players that you know they can get this. You know this 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 mental sort of pressure that really affects the way that they would normally play, and it makes them play mm. a little bit different. Uh, you know, it's happened to me, it's happened to a lot of players, and I, and I feel that's what's happening to Fafana. It'd be nice to see Vestergaard come in and and put a few good solid performances in because you know we, we've seen him being a, a good centre half at Southampton, and like I say, he's coming to a team that's not played so well early doors. And I think that might have affected him, but you know, he's, he's come on late in a few games where we've been winning and maybe that's done his confidence a bit of good, but yeah, he, he needs to step up to the plate and Sancho, you know, whatever it is, you know, if Evans is fit now, it might be a point for me when I, I can't see Brendan doing this with the way uh, he's picked his teams, you know, in the last few weeks, but would it be a point of bringing Sancho out and putting Vestergaard in? You know, I don't know because yeah. for me right now, Sancho isn't the player he was last year. And do we do we just change that just to make a point? And you know, Amati, I think he's been doing okay to be honest with you. So um, it's just about getting that mix right at the moment. And obviously, the lads in front uh, doing the job that we have. And, and on that, you know, we, we we stumbled on this with Madison in the hole. Do we sacrifice that and put three in the middle of the park and just make us a bit more solid in there? You know, uh, I'm not 100 sure on what that is. But like I say, we defended as, as an eleven, and if we need to make that change. With Madison, that might be something to make, you know, and um, yeah. and just make us a bit tight in the middle of the park, and that would obviously make it easier for the back guys. I mean, I've said this with with, with Craig uh, in a couple of shows, and I never thought I'd be saying this, but you know, we're looking at a Marty being our most consistent defender. Yeah, you know, he's he's done well, and I think even times when he's been criticised again, I've always said it about Fafana, I say it about many players, you know, Luke Thomas, the young lads. And, and they are, they're not going to have, a you know, eight out of ten every week. Every week they're going to have, you know, there's going to be something there where, the, you know, the performance drops off or they make a couple of mistakes. And that's just their age and the lack of experience. But at the moment, you know, for me, he's performing quite well. You know, he's not making any mistakes. He's doing his job. He, you know, he's got a bit of pace about him. You know, mm. he seems settled in the team. So, 
he's the one for me that is actually doing fine out of the, you know, and that's expectation of levels of performance where Soyuncu we expect to be up here and, and he's not quite. And Amati was sort of not expecting much of him, but he's probably outperforming where we think he is. So, you know, for me, keep him in. Oh. Does the manager have uh, some confidence in Vestergaard to bring him in over Soyuncu? I don't know. You you froze in for a minute, and I thought you were going to get your own back on me. <laughs> you did that it's on page. Yes, yeah. I'm watching that, and you froze, and I thought, yeah, he's done this on purpose. Um, Brendan made a strange comment that he didn't seem to think that we had a problem with defending corners, but we seem to be conceding quite a few from corners. I mean, we've got you know um, Colo Tori in, a, you know, he's supposed to be this wonderful defensive coach what what are they doing i mean you know is it that hot you know surely and i'm you know i'm not a you know footballer i've never been on the training ground but you must as defenders do you go off in you know in your little group as a defender and practice that sort of thing no but what, what you do do is you you know you practice attacking and uh defensive set pieces all the time you know that and that's mm. normally a a Friday job when you're winding down for the game, you know, on on the Saturday or if it's the weekend, whatever day it is. But yeah. the day before is the the, day, the day where you in our day you used to have a bit of a five aside at the end of it. But before that, you'd be walking through things. It wouldn't be a you know a physically stressful day, and you'd you'd put attacking set pieces up against the reserves, and you know you'd, you'd go and attack them, and then you'd change it around and and say this is how we're setting up defensively this is where he will be this is who the dangers are this is all you'd be marking i think one of the problems these days is and we you know we see this all the time is that the, there's so much grappling and concentration on where the player is and not where the ball is so mm. you know it, it, again i know i keep going back to our day which is a long time ago but you literally would put your arm you know you touch the guy that you're marking so you'd have your hand on his chest and you knew he was there so you didn't have to put your arms around him and these days, they're now looking at the player, got their arms around him. They don't know when the ball's coming in, never mind where it is. Yeah. And and then, you know, if they're not set for it, the guy can, you know, you, you often see it, the guy just stands there and heads it. So we were a bit more, not as tight, but we were literally worse. So, we, you know, we knew it, with the pressure on your hand, if it's making a run forward, you'd feel that. And you, you, you went with yeah. them and we sort of just challenged a bit more freely and, you know, the game has changed. Again, I go back to, I think, you know, it's coming a lot from Europe, you know, uh, the diving and all that kind of stuff and, and you know, the simulation and this thing with the corners that people get away with and, the, the, you know, hopefully they're starting to clamp down on it, which they seem to be. But, you know, we just used to mark someone, touch them and make that run with them. If they got a run and you were beat to the head, it was your fault and it was as simple as that. Now you see three players all looking at each other because someone in the middle of them has jumped up and edited it in. And you think, yeah. who's doing more? Are you stonal? Are you marking? Who's, who's doing what job? And it, it just seems there's there's no real accountability for it. And it's uh, it's not the way forward, I don't think. You mentioned the, the word there that I've, I've written down here to, 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 to mention, which was zonal. I mean, is zonal marking... I mean, I don't get zonal marking, to be honest with you, because as a defender, and I say, you know, I'm, I'm saying this purely from a fan's point of view. Are you a I defender, think, Chris? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm not. No, I'm not. I couldn't. I, I, there's nothing. There's another guy who defend. I'll tell you. Um, but no, as a, as a defender, I would say to you, um, right, this is who you're marking. 
in, you know, in the you know, in the if it's a corner or whatever, you've got to keep on to this guy, and you know that he's your guy. And if he runs forward, like you just said, you run forward. If he runs back, now if it's zonal, and I say this is your little bit of an area, you don't know which player is going to come into your zone to mark, and I just don't. I just don't because because as you know, you, as a defender, you'll say, "Right, I'm I'm marking whoever," and you'll know and maybe do a little bit of homework, or or the, the coaches will come and say, "Right, this is what he does, and this is how he runs." If it's zonal, you've got no idea who's coming in. No, and I think you know I've, I've got a good example of this as well. So I think zonal probably not right in this day and age where people, you know, I see defenders just holding their hands up when someone's gone past them, or you know, and they don't seem to be accountable. Uh, back in our day, God, we were so accountable for every last mistake you made. Um, and that was it. In our day, it was like, you're marking him for the corners. This is what he does normally. He'll either start there and you go and mark him. And if he scored, it was your fault. And that was it. End of. Uh, what I'm going to do to sort of counter that is when I played at Luton, uh, there was uh, we played with the back three and there was myself, Marvin Johnson, very experienced uh, guy. And we had a young lad called Gary Doherty who went on to... Uh, Norwich and then Spurs. Um, and as a back three, we literally stood on the six-yard box and I was in the middle of the goal because I was the central one. Whoever, you know, Marv was on the left, he did the front post. Dozer was on the back, he did the back post. But what we did as a three is wherever that ball was near our area, we went and attacked it. And you'd find that because it was maybe half and half that two of us would go and attack it. Now, what I think you find in the modern-day game is you get the opposite where someone's like, oh, that's not quite my ball and leaves it. And then the other one's like, that's not quite my ball and leaves it. And the striker nips in and everyone goes, oh, zonal marking's terrible. I think it really depends on your personnel. We absolutely at Luton, I loved doing that at corners and we were very, very, I don't, we didn't concede many goals at corners, but the three of us really had this thing of, if that ball was, you know, as as the fly and you judged it, we were after it. We were all over the box after it and other players were marking and it was very successful. I've not seen mm. a lot of success in the last five years uh, of teams doing that. And I think it is that, you know, you need that accountability of who's attacking the ball. And I don't think they do it that well these days. No. Uh, Scott, I've seen your question. We'll say that till the end when we do uh, Julian's questions. Just looking here, two things on before we move on to the next point. I'm just looking at Leicester. We've, conceded, we've scored 15, but we've conceded 17. Um, we're 11th in the table. Nobody above us has, has conceded any more than that, although Tottenham and Everton were up there in 11, with 11. But below us, you've only really got Villa is 19, Watford is 18, and then you're down to the bottom two of Newcastle and Norwich in the 20s. And that, you know, that is the worrying thing. But Craig, we were talking about this early because we were picking the team for um, for the, the, the game on Thursday. And Craig said, when did it stop that we had a player on the post, marking the post? Because, how you know, you've got your goalkeeper. If the striker or whoever's having a go at goal is good, the best place to put that ball is either towards one post or towards the other, because it means the goalkeeper's got the furthest to go to get it. Should we not still be having players on the post? Or, or when, did, when did they stop doing that? Uh, they start. They stopped doing it. It just manages preference, and the, you know the modern game changed, and they wanted more players out there marking. And did they leave more players, you know, out of the box mm-hmm. and up front for the attack? 
And, you know, I still agree that I think, you know, when I've set teams up, that I, I would always have someone on that front post area that when the ball went over his head, he would then drop back onto the front post. And I, I think I would always have someone on the back post. But then it's, you know, how many do you get marking mm. and, and, and stuff like that? And I think managers, they're just trying to eke out every last advantage they can. But, I mean, it's that classic thing on match of the day that every time from a corner, someone heads in and it goes in at one of the posts. They say, why didn't they have someone on the post? What happened to that? Just like you've asked, Chris. Yes. And, and yeah, you do wonder why, because yeah. if someone does get a free header, the keeper's really got no chance. It's normally so close to him. He's, he's transfixed in the middle of his goal uh, and, yes. and he hasn't got much chance. But, you know, this is now down to the modern era and, and really the manager's preference of how he wants to set his team up. Yeah, I, I must admit, I, I, I just think if you've got if you've got two players on the post, it's there's a less of an you know an area for them to shoot at. But uh, let's hope they get it sorted out. And whether it's a pizza or as, as uh, Scott said, a whiskey, whatever it takes, let's just get in. Maybe take them all down to the nineteenth hole, Julian, and you can uh, you Why can not? speak to them. Yes. Um, so the last point that we're going to before we go on to the fans' question is England players and um, greed. Well, I don't know if you if you remember the the um, this, the uh, the film Wall Street with Michael Douglas and uh, his mm-hmm. character said greed, for the lack of a better word, is good. And England players are embroiled in a dispute with the FA over tax payments for the Europa twenty twenty finals. Squad. They're expecting three hundred thousand pound each for getting to the final, but they said are only going to receive two hundred thousand. Oh dear, my, 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 I've got tears falling down my cheek here. You know how can you just survive on two hundred thousand for getting to a final? I just there's rumours. Somebody said that England players actually donate their, and this is why I was surprised at reading this. They donate their match fees to charity. And, you, know, and, you know, I think so. They should, and, it, and, it, and if it is a dispute over that, I'd, I'd find that really, really sad. I mean, there's a lot of great players that have played in recent years before. You know, these guys are playing now who have you know graced many a stadium, many a final, mm. and have earned you know an absolute fraction, you know, of what these guys are earning now. Um, yeah. For me, for me, it was always about pulling the shirt on, and God. You know, to play for England, it should be an absolute honour and a privilege. I don't even know why you need wages to play for England, and especially these days. While you, while you know, the, the we've talked about it many, many times. The wages that are now probably a bit of a scandal, but we would all accept them if we were all professional footballers these days without yeah. even blinking. But do you need to earn any money? to play for England because if you're playing for England you're a premiership footballer if you're a premiership footballer you're on a big big number you know and I I, I don't you know and I'd be I'd be chuffed to bits if every England player donated his England you know um, payments to charity because they they certainly don't need them I don't know how much money they need to earn these days to uh, you know to have a decent lifestyle after football you know they certainly earn enough so if that report's true uh I'd be a bit sad if I'm honest, because yeah. the, you know the, it, it should be. I'm pulling on that shirt and I'm playing for my country, and it should be an absolute privilege. And does money take that privilege away? I'm not sure. I, I'm, I'm, I was kind when I first read this. I'm like, I'm, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm going into the Hulk, you know. And then, then I sit down and think, well, hang on. 
I worked in sales for all my life virtually. And, you know, I know my, my wage was my wage. But if I got to a certain point or hit my targets, I'd get a bonus. Uh, but then my wage was, my basic wage was lower because of that. And like you said, with the Premier League players, you shouldn't... It's, I don't know whether it's different in sport or whether I'm being unfair, but you should want to get to the final. You should want to lift that trophy. You should want to have that medal. You should, you know, and you can ask every footballer, myself included, and I'm sure I've heard Alan Shearer say this, is I wish I'd have had my career 10 years later. You yes. know, there's that yes. many footballers, you know, will say that and how different our lives would be now if we'd have played 10 years later and had, you know, Alan Shearer had his amazing career. I had a fairly ordinary career, but if my career 10 years later, would I would yes. be in a totally different personal situation than I am now. You yes. know, it's... And it is that, you know, that influx of money that came in and, you know, what a such a big league and the sponsorship and all that. But, you know, um, you know, it is how much do you need to earn? And, mm. you know, these guys, they're, they're, they're set for life on, and some of them, they'll be, you know, be set for life on a, on one contract. Yeah. You yeah. know, a three-year deal at Leicester. And, you know, mm. if you've got a decent advisor, you're set for life and you're going to have a, a very comfortable life on a three- or a four-year mm. contract. Well, this is what um, we said about the managers being sacked, aren't they? You yeah, know. exactly. No, exactly. no, no, he'd never work again. He's got no. five million there. You know? No, no. I mean, I mean, now, now it's unbelievable to think that you get sacked mm. from a job, and then a few million pounds is going to arrive in your bank account on the next yes. payday. It's you know, or if they pay over time, but whatever it is, it's just incredulous to be honest with you. Um, yeah. And so, you know, with the England thing, uh, you know. I love the fact that they got to finals. Thought it was absolutely fantastic. All the country was behind them, but mm. you know, please don't be haggling over hundred grand when you know that's yeah. it's probably not. Yeah. It's probably not even a week's wages these days. Yes, uh, and and uh, but that, that said, um, it apparently is down to the the FA uh, who were forced to. It says here to be revealed. Football Association officials, and you can believe this. With our FA, can't you? Were forced to make an embarrassing adjustment to the way they pay the squad on the advice of the tax authorities. But again, even with that, you say, "Well, come on, England players." So you know, the FA come to you, and they made a cock up, and that's you know, that's the FA and, and all football bodies for you. But like you say, you should still look at that and go, "Okay, but I'm still earning this." And I think it was Mika Richards that said about. England players donate, you know, donating the 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 the, uh, the money to to charity. But then, you know, like I can say, I, ju I just I just find it incredulous that they that they are on a bonus to want to do well because, you know, you all want to do well in your jobs because we, we earn more money. But as a sportsman, you, you've surely if you haven't got that winning mentality anyway, you shouldn't be pulling the boots on. No, and you know, and I think like you know, the captain Henderson epitomizes it. He just seems like that real good lad who just wants to win and he's just enjoying everything he does. And you know, and I hope that you know, he just pulls that England shirt on for the love of pulling it on. And I think he does, you know, by what you you see about him and the way he's you know, the way he's interviewed. And you'd like to think that that everybody was like that. I'd be horrified if I thought someone had some issue with with payments, you know, for pulling mm -hmm. that shirt on in. You know, in, in these times when we've got such an exciting squad, such a difficult squad to get into at the moment, you know, the manager's got a really difficult job for the England, you know, team. Uh, and you'd just be, 
you'd be honoured that you'd actually got selected into that 25 or 20 when it comes down to the, you know, to the actual tournament. So, you know, hopefully it's not the case, but, you know, we do hear these things. We do. Uh, and, of course, we don't know. It's all, you know, what we call paper talk. We know we know what that's like. Um, moving on then, finally, a couple of questions just to end with on, on the fans' questions here. Uh, I'm going to go back to, first of all, Terry asked his right at the start. I haven't forgotten you, Terry, but I just want to bring um, Scott's question in first um, because he asked it most recently. Um I've just got to find it. That's the problem. Um, <laughs> the word, yeah. Oh, it was <laughs> his comments right here. Um, Julian, question for you. Does Brendan feel that because on a training pitch the team can't score from a free kick or corner that our defence is doing well? Ooh, um, I'd say no. Um, no, I mean, what they do on a training ground, it's, it's a little bit different. So... Um, and this was this was classic old school stuff that we used to we'd do set pieces against the reserves, and yeah. if you didn't get the set pieces right, you'd stay out on the training ground longer. And this, and if the if the reserves defended well, the first team would get quite angry and start to clip a few of the reserves and say, yeah. "Can you just let us score?" <laughs> seriously, seriously, I've had this. Can you just let us score, and then we can get off the training pitch? And it's probably changed a lot now since by then, but but there is that. So. No, he, he wouldn't think that at all. They what they will play up against the reserves. They'll do all the set pieces. They'll bring them in. They play it against them. Reserves are probably slightly passive, and it'll all look really good. And they'll defend well, and they'll score well. Uh, and then hopefully they can emulate that on the pitch at the weekend. But uh, you know, on the defensive side, obviously we see that's not going too great. But you you would hope if the manager's got any nows about him that he would be able to see that was happening anyway, wouldn't you? <laughs> You would, but no, but I mean, it, it happens, and you know, I think what the manager will do is is look at, you know, the obviously they'll they'll be studying the tape from the game, and that will be analysed now so much more than it was in you know twenty years ago. That will be replayed over and over again. The team will be sat there watching it. Where were you? Why did you move like this? I mean, I think every last little movement these days is analysed, and it, it's like next time you need to do this. Why did you move like that? Why did you get attracted to that? There'd be so much detail in what they do now. But I think more of that comes in probably, uh, you know, videos of, of actual game time rather than on the training ground. Quick question from me then to about training. Was was uh, Martin a hard taskmaster in training? <laughs> I mean, I, I probably was probably not a... there with the Jock Wallace running up the hill. Thing, but... Uh... <laughs> No, Martin was really funny. I mean, like, to be fair, I mean, all the training was done by Steve Walford. He was like the first right. team coach. And Martin and John, I've said this many a time, they brought players into the club who fitted in exactly to what, what we did. And who, one who's a very good player, who's notable and, you know, he's a great guy, great player. Mm. And he just didn't fit into the equation was Graham Fenton because he was a, yeah. you know, he was prolific at Blackburn. He was a great yeah. lad. I got on great with him. So I'm not talking him down now, but... He, you know, he sort of, I think he clashed a little bit with a gaffer and that didn't quite work out. But what they did is they they brought, you know, the players in and the gaffer was more of a match day person. He didn't really get involved on the training ground. What he did that was hilarious, and I've spoke about it many times, is that in our day, it was all like old school. We'd, we'd normally have Wednesdays off if we didn't have a midweek game. So the gaffer would come out at the end on a Tuesday and then just do the running. And he'd literally make it up and there'd be like some goalposts over there 
there'd be a dugout there, there'd be something else over there, and he'd literally say, oh, it's a run round there, round there, round there, and back in here, and then he'd just come up with a time and then say go. And we just went at full pace because we were frightened to death that we wouldn't get back in <laughs> on the time he said. And even he didn't know how long it was going to take us. But we were so yeah. petrified of having to do it again and again and again that we, you know, we, went, we just ran around like maniacs. But that was <laughs> Martin's in, input wasn't really uh, training ground input. It was it was match day. Um, yes. And that was yeah. when he would really come into his own. You could see what it was like on, you know, on the touchline. Very enthusiastic, yeah. obviously. Enthusiastic, yeah. probably, you know, a, a watered <laughs> down. Yeah. You know, and he, and he, he really got his messages across to before games. Uh, you know, at half time, what was going wrong? You know, he, he was good at that. And then after the games, you know, the breakdown of it. So that was, for me, his his strong points was, you know, the, the game time, yes. not so much the training. Yeah. And last question from Terry here. Thank you very much, Terry, for the question. In your playing days, there were no female referees. Watching the effect of how today's players don't tend to argue with female refs, would you want to see more of them? <laughs> um, <laughs> You're on your own with this one, Julian. <laughs> I think I'd have been passing in my phone number. I think it's <laughs> <laughs> um, no, a half I mean, listening. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, she's not. She's in the pub fully enough. But um, <laughs> no, I think I think it's difficult. For me, because there's a lot of things going on in the world like right now, and it, I just think for me, the best person for the job doesn't matter who they are, gender, whatever. The best person for the job, and if there is, you know, female linesmen and referees who are good at the job, who and I, and I suppose, you know, the thing for females, and I'm, I'm not being sexist, absolutely 100 percent not, is that it is a, it's a very, uh, and it's always been a very, you know, emotive male dominant environment if they can come into that environment and control a game i think yeah great get them in absolutely no problem at all and i think it's a good point that he's made is that men would feel you know are they going to go off at a female linesman like they go off at a male i'm not saying that's right or wrong but you know are are they a bit more conservative or mindful of who they're speaking to because i think over time and again you know as the games developed and got into the premier league and i again mentioned money is that players have got very big in the boots and they do talk to people in the wrong way. They do talk to refs in the wrong way. They do talk to line and they get away with it sometimes. And and perhaps they shouldn't do perhaps refs and linesmen should be tougher and say, I'm not allowing that. And I'm going to book you, Mm. you know, um, I was totally the opposite. I talked to them very nicely all the time. And it must have saved me at least 30 yellow cards in the fact that in every game I spoke to the referee, well done, mate, great decision. Oh, you missed that one there. Never mind. All the time for 90 minutes, spoke to the referee and got away with absolute murder. But these yeah. days there is that respect issue. And, you know, I don't, I don't, I, I, hopefully it's not just the fact that it's females refereeing bringing that respect to it. Just be should the respect for the referee and the officials in general. But for me, if the person's good for the job, doesn't matter who they are, they should get the job. I totally agree, but I, I think it is natural that if it is a woman referee or a woman linesman, that you do tend to think, "Oh, I, I can't go and in, you know invade her personal yeah. space or or go around." I mean, I'm trying to think, and I'm, I could be making this up, uh, probably, but uh, was there a game recently? I think where the, all the officials were females. It was a Leicester game, and to be quite honest with yeah. you, I haven't seen. And in that game, if I, if my memory serves me right, they did very, very good. Um, and was it the European game? Them. I think it was. was it the European yes, game? You know, 
I have a feeling. And I, I, you know, I, I haven't got a problem. They, they've, mm. you know, whoever the official is, male or female, they need to come onto a pitch and realise what they're probably going to have to deal with, and they're going to have to deal yeah. with it. And if they deal with it in the right fashion, uh, they make mm. the right. And you know, they're all going to get decisions wrong. I think there's only Kalina I ever remember who got. I don't think he ever got a decision wrong in his entire career. No. There's, there's no one ever, yeah. ever, ever going to, um, you know, follow that. I don't think. But as long as yeah. they come in and, you know, we. We know they're going to make mistakes. We know they're not going to see everything. The game is so quick at the moment, even though they've got VAR to help them. But if they come in and know the, you know, the environment and can deal, it's dealing with the environment. If they can deal with the environment, no problem at all. Best person for the yeah. job wins it for me. Yeah, I did say that was the last question, but Craig, as he, as Craig will, always, always, always slips a sloppy one in at the end. Always last questions, Craig. Isn't yeah. It? Yeah. Oh, oh, well, that's what his wife says anyway. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> he says there are players no longer able to make their own decisions on the pitch and react to situation these days because everything is pre-planned to the precise detail. Um, it's a good question, Craig. I think that there is a lot more structure in our team's play these days. We didn't have that structure 20 years ago. I think there's miles more now, but I still think that, um, y you know, you, you can't rely on just that structure. You, all these players have got this individual ability and that is also part of the makeup of why they're in the team. So we look at Pep and he's, he's had, he's had left backs and right backs that come and play centre mid when they go up and he's, he, you know, he's had a false nine and he's done this and that, and that's all great. And they are following those instructions but I think they're also in that team because of their ability that they've got. Uh, and you can never take that away from a footballer. Uh, and, yeah. you know, it's and that's why they're in the team. That's the difference they're going to make in those one-on-one -on -one moments. So, yes, Craig, a lot more structure, but there's still that flair that's needed in the game or we wouldn't watch it anymore. Indeed, indeed. And both himself and Terry, thank you. Uh, for no worries, guys. Them. Thank you. You know, Julian, as always, thank you so much. I bet you, uh, have you, you have you got time to get to the pub, meet the, meet the missus and fit one in before last orders? Oh, you I don't, don't need, need to. to. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least you don't have to crawl home. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> if, if, if Mohammed can't get to the mountain, as they say. <laughs> <laughs> I should never have doubted it, should I, really? I can't even believe you asked the question, Chris. Blimey. I know. I'm a fool. I'm a fool to myself. But, Julie, well, I'll let you go and enjoy enjoy what looked like a very large glass of wine. And, mm -hmm. um, no, thank you. As always, thank you very much for coming on and doing that. And, uh, no worries. I enjoyed it. See you, see you the same time next week. Absolutely. Cheers, Chris. Julie. Thank you. Thanks a lot, Julie. Cheers. Take Night. care. Bye -bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks to Julian there. Uh, great that he comes on and does that for us um, every Tuesday. What a what a star! Uh, what a star! And uh, he knows his stuff more than more than us mere fans. Um, so, what have we got coming up next? We have got, um, he says, briefly moving down this. Indeed, it's the prediction show. Um, different time last night. Um, 
last night, different time tomorrow night. I can't do sloppy seconds in one night. You should know this by now. Um, 8.30 tomorrow night. As you know, it's a bit. we're going to change it around a little bit. Every um, prediction show, what we were doing was we were having a guest in, and that guest was um, a fan of another club. And then last week, we um, uh, got... Um, Mark Selby, very kindly, the jester from Leicester, world snooker champion and world number two, very kindly sent his scores in. What we've done, I've been in, uh, chatting for, for a few days now. Moving forward from this week on, uh, whenever is possible, which will hopefully be most weeks, we were going to be doing the Prediction League. You've still got me and Brad, unfortunately. You can't get rid of us. But we're going to be joined every week by um, ex-Fox, another ex-Fox, ex-player, Steve Linux. So he, if you remember, if you're of a certain age, and I know Craig is, and I know I am, uh, it's, uh, you will remember him. Um, <laughs> Chris, have you been on the Irish whiskey or still on the, on the, on the gun? Uh, Jean, I think I think you have been Scott. I don't know about anybody else. <laughs> you got to don't don't drink and type. It spills across all the keyboard. It's not good. But no. So every prediction show moving on, we're going to be joined by ex-player Steve Walsh running down the wing, and he'll be running in and getting some good score predictions in. And I'm hopefully welcome Luca and uh, popping in just before we uh, uh, pop down. Um, yeah, yeah, thanks, Luca. You've won one game. Don't get too excited. Um, you know what? I can say he's going to be coming every every week and doing it with us. The rumours that I got um, that I got Steve in because he's actually rubbish at predictions, <laughs> and he will admit himself he's probably not the best. And the fact that the guest was catching me up in second place. Uh, no, that's not true. That is not true <laughs> at all. Um, but <laughs> get ex-Arsenal players. Why would I want to get ex-Arsenal players? You know, the only decent player you've ever had was an ex-Leicester player, and I've already had him on the chat, Alan Smith. Uh, so uh, tomorrow night, 8.30, me and... <laughs> yeah, okay, Luca. Me and Steve Linux and Brad with the prediction show... Thanks to everybody for tonight. Luca just popping in there, but Scott, Craig, and Terry, great. And thanks for putting your questions up there. I'll be back 8.30 tomorrow night. Remember, if you want to listen to us and uh, catch up with us, you can do. We're all over the podcasts. Amazon, Apple, Google, Anchor, Spotify, Podcast Addict, just to name six. And uh, if you've got a smart speaker, ask it to play. And you do have to ask it to play the full, the podcast, Lester Till I Die. The smart speaker, just ask it to play the podcast, Lester, till I die. Thanks very much, guys. 8.30 tomorrow with the prediction show with Xbox Steve Linux. Good night. Take care. Stay safe. Hello, Matt Elliott here. Be sure to watch Lester Till I Die TV on YouTube and follow all their social media platforms for the latest updates and news on Leicester City Football Club.
watch us on YouTube. Listen on your favourite podcast platform or ask your smart speaker to play the podcast Lester Till I Die. Subscribe, like, follow and join in now. Sports Social Podcast Network. It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Ultimate delivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.